But uh, really glad to be with you this morning. Would ask you to take your Bible, if you would, go to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 9. There is so much, and I always feel like uh, I'm a little bit constrained just with the schedule. I'm looking at the clock, and I'll keep an eye on that because I've got a class next hour like a lot of you. But boy, there's a lot of stuff I want to cover here. So I'm going to read one verse, even though we're going to talk about a couple chapters, and we're going to, today we're going to see one principle, two illustrations, and three applications from the life of Paul that I'll be honest, I never really saw, uh, I don't think, to this depth before studying this passage, and I think it will help me understand Paul better, and it'll help me be a better disciple of Christ. So the verse, and then we'll have another word of prayer and begin, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse number 4. The Apostle Paul asked this question, have we not power to eat and drink? Would you read that verse with me? Let's say it all together out loud. Ready? Have we not power to eat and to drink? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to stand here this morning and to open your word. Thank you for the grace that you've placed in our lives. Father, I pray that you'd be exalted in our lives today. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. In order to understand really why Paul is asking this kind of bizarre question, we've got to go back and ask, what's already happened in this passage? Uh, This question isn't incredibly nuanced. It's not actually something different than what it sounds like. He's not talking about a specific kind of food am I allowed to eat. He's not talking about a specific kind of drink am I allowed to uh, drink. He's really just talking about lunch and supper. He's, He's just asking the question, hey guys, can I eat and can I drink? Is that okay? Why is Paul asking this question? the church at Corinth. Well, the church at Corinth, a lot of you know from your other studies, is a church that God used Paul to found. We see this in Acts chapter 18, I believe, in his second missionary journey. Travels there, of course, won't go through the entire story, but God uses Paul to uh, plant this church, and he spends a year and a half at that church. That's important. A year and a half. We'll come back to that. Over the years, Paul wrote at least three, maybe four letters to this church. He visited on two subsequent occasions, and there could be times that we don't have a record of. So Paul is very, very involved in this church. In fact, he's already written them one letter that we don't actually have in Scripture, but it's referenced in Scripture. So Paul is very concerned. He's very involved in this church. And when he writes the first, the, this letter that we call 1 Corinthians, he takes chapter number one and chapter through chapter six, and he deals with a lot of discord and disorder and sin in the church. And he talks about the fighting. I'm a Paul, and I'm a Paulus, and, and the little camps that were going on. He talks about the guy that was living in sin that was being celebrated there, 1 Corinthians chapter five, and he gives judgment on that. And as he works through, he's correcting all of these problems that he's heard about. He didn't have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but he, he heard from people that, man, there were some problems at this church, and he said about correcting those in chapters 1 through chapter 6. When he gets to chapter number 7, he begins addressing a sequence of questions that had come, and probably that had been sent to him, and I actually want to, we'll spend a little bit of time in chapter 8, but I want to glance at chapter 7, because I think we often don't quite know what's going on here. In chapter 7, he begins, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I, I, I used to read that, and I thought, oh, I should never touch a girl. Ever, 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 don't touch a girl. <laughs> Which works really, really good when you're in, like, third grade, because they've got cooties. You don't want to touch them anyway. They're you, right? And then you get a little bit older, and then, you know, it's 
you know, it changes, right? And <laughs> the Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. I just thought, well, that's why, you know, that's why I came up in a pretty strict home and you weren't, you didn't hold hands when you were dating and you didn't, you didn't ever uh, touch a girl. But we didn't actually never touch a girl. We actually, you know, would shake hands, you know, at church and stuff like that. And, uh, but when I went back and I read this, this is actually something that Paul is responding to that they had asked him. They had, they had asked him. In fact, see in verse number one there, he says, now concerning the things whereof you wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Like, is this true or is this not true, Paul? We have a question about this. And Paul says, I want to address that statement, that thing that you wrote me about. And his answer actually to that is, here's my assessment to that whole topic, is it a good for a man not to touch a woman? The answer is, no, that's not a good rule to live by. Because the word touch there is a little bit of a euphemism. It means a little bit more than is obvious because, uh, in fact, there's a lot of euphemisms in Scripture for this area, like, like in the Old Testament. Hey, feel free to answer that. <laughs> That'll help. Um, in the Old Testament, if you remember, uh, when Adam knew Eve, they had a baby. Remember that? Okay, it's kind of a euphemism, right? That's what's happening here. So uh, this is something we see in scripture, and we see in a lot of Greek writing, this idea of like a man touching a woman. It's kind of a euphemism, and you know, sometimes they'd have a baby afterwards and stuff. That's what it's talking about. So Paul is asked this question, hey, should we live celibate lives? Paul's answer to that, if you've read through this uh, chapter, is, well, no, that's not necessarily true. In fact, to avoid fornication, it's often a good thing for a man to marry or for a woman to marry, and, and they've got some uh, privileges as a married couple. He said, but you be honest with you, there's some advantages to being single as well. In fact, I think it's verse number seven, he refers to it as a gift. How many of you think you might have the gift of celibacy? Don't raise your hand, I'm just... Asking the question, because Paul calls it a gift. How many of you hope you don't have that gift? But Paul says, that's a gift. And you know what Paul said? I'm glad I have that gift. I'm not walking around wishing I had a wife. I'm not walking around wishing somebody would like me enough to marry me. I suppose Paul probably could have gotten married. He knew a lot of people. He traveled around. He was well-respected. I think if he wanted to get married, he probably could have gotten married. But what he says in chapter number 7 is, for some people, not being married actually benefits their ministry. He said, for me, boy, is that true. Because if you've got a wife, you care for the things of the world, and you're just, he's like, I'm a little bit freer as a result. And he's like, I'm not saying everybody has to do what I'm doing. But for me, not being married is working out really, really well. Because I'm all into this, and I can just run really hard. And it's, it's so, so go ahead and get married. If you want to get married, it's fine. Some people should get married. Some people shouldn't get married. Don't judge somebody based on whether or not they're married. For me, I'm not married. And it enables me to really effectively serve God and what he's called me to do. Okay, chapter number 8 now, he addresses another question. Chapter 8, he's, uh, verse number 1, now touching the things offered unto idols. New chapter, new topic, he's responding to more questions, right? Now touching on things offered to idols. Now this was obviously a contention that the early church had, and we're familiar with it. We read about this and we get it in Romans chapter uh, number uh, 13 and really 14 uh, more. We read about this in other passages, Colossians, of course Galatians, you know, we see that this is a tension. We read about it in Acts chapter 15. We know the church talked about this a lot. Is it okay to eat meat offered idols? And the most expansive answer to that is chapter number 8 of 1 Corinthians and the short answer is, yeah, it's okay. It's fine, right? Can you eat meat offered to idols? What's Paul's answer? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's okay. There's actually nothing wrong with it. 
Why is there nothing wrong with eating meat offered to idols? Paul says, well, here's the reason. There's only one God, and the idol isn't it. The idol is nothing. Like, the idol isn't, it's like, it's all, there, there's no spiritual power there. There's, like, so when meat's offered to idols, honestly, guys, it's okay. In fact, uh, sometimes they would even sell that meat. They call it in the shambles, I think is how it's translated, in uh, Romans. And then here he talks about even eating meat at the temple. They would kind of have a restaurant off on the side, and they would serve the meat. So they would take this, and they'd offer it to the idol. Guess what? The idol never ate the meat. We're not surprised, right? So after they offered it to the idol, what would they do with it? They would go and they'd sell it, and they'd make some money, right? What the Apostle Paul says, if you have meat, somebody serves you meat, don't ask any questions about it. Uh, just go ahead and eat it. Receive it with thanksgiving. If it was offered to an idol and you end up eating it, it's okay. He's like, but if someone says to you, hey, that meat, that was offered to an idol, you know what you should do? Just don't eat it, right? If somebody tells you for conscience sake, hey, that was offered to an idol, I don't know about that, Paul says, just, just don't. It really goes through this, and it fascinates me. He says, there's literally nothing wrong with eating meat offered to an idol. But for someone who doesn't have that knowledge, then their conscience might be defiled if seeing you eat meat offered to an idol causes them to do something that they're not really convinced they should do. Remember Romans chapter number 14 says, whatsoever is not of what? Faith is sin and what that means is if you can figure it out it's not pleasing to god that's not what that passage means at all right it's talking about meat offered to idols if you can do it in faith you're free to do it but if you've got doubt and if you've got questions and if you can't do it in faith you shouldn't do it if you think it's wrong and you do it anyway it's wrong so what paul says in this passage is when it comes to meat offered to idols there's really no problem with it but there's a principle of charity. There's a principle of love and of deference. And the stunning thing, the way he wraps this up, just, just about takes my breath away. Chapter number eight. So the question is, can you meet, eat meat offered to idols? What's the short answer? Yeah, it's okay. Look at how he ends verse, uh, chapter number eight, verse number 13. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend. Wow. He's not messing around, is he? He says, hey, if my brother is offended by me eating meat, I'll be a vegetarian for the rest of my life. So let me ask you the question. What would it take for you to be a vegetarian for the rest of your life? Paul says, this is all it would take for me. If I, by choosing that lifestyle, could keep from bringing offense or causing offense to a brother, that's all I need. As long as the world stands, I'll abstain from me. How do you understand? That's a pretty big sacrifice. Paul has liberty. Paul has knowledge that he's willing to accommodate the weaker brethren. Now, this leads into chapter number 9, which is where we'll take our text today, and we'll work through this a little bit more carefully. But at the church at Corinth, there were some people doubting whether or not Paul was actually an apostle. You've heard that before, right? There's people that says, you know, that, that Paul guy, he's not really an apostle. Why isn't he an apostle? He's kind of weak. Well, why is he weak? Well, you know what? He's willing to not eat meat offered to idols. But we have knowledge. It's actually okay. Ah, Paul, I don't know if he's actually an apostle. 
You know what else? Let me tell you something else about the apostle. The apostle Paul never accepts an offering for himself, ever. It was his rule of practice. He would work night and day to avoid accepting an offering from a church where he's ministering at. Now, I know some of you are thinking through other passages. It's true. Paul did accept support from other churches after he left. But while he was at a church, according to the record of the New Testament, it seems like he never accepted any help while he was there from the church he was serving. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? Can you imagine if we had the Apostle Paul in town here at Lancaster Baptist Church? We're like, man, the Apostle Paul is here. He's going to spend 18 months at Lancaster Baptist Church. He's going to write, he's going to preach, and he's going to do all this apostolic stuff. And we are so excited. How many of you would like to take a class with the Apostle Paul? Wow, can you imagine the Apostle Paul being here in Lancaster? Could you imagine? We want to do everything we could for him. We'd say, now, 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 Paul, we are so glad you're here. Um, we want to give you, this is, we'll have more coming. Here's our check. This should cover all of your expenses traveling in. This should cover your uh, accommodations, your hotel room. We've gotten that. Your food. Here's a check. And the Apostle Paul says, no, thank you. Like, no, thank you? Like, Paul, how are you going to live? What are you going to do? What do you mean, no thank you? You've got to eat, right? You, you, there's nothing wrong with us giving you support. And Paul says, you're right. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm just going to decline. I'm going to say, no thank you. What did Paul do to support himself while he was here? You know, right? He made tents. Can you imagine how awkward that'd be for us? <laughs> Can you imagine... Um, I'm trying to think what the equivalent would be. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul's here, and I'm, uh, I'm excited about it, I'm driving around town, and I realize I have some work I need done. Let's say I'm going to put a new floor in my house, and I want to hire somebody to put a new floor, and I see this sign on a, a telephone pole, and it says, floor installation, hardwood, ceramic, tile, we do it all, here's a phone number. So I call up the phone number. Hello, name's Toby England. I'm looking for somebody to install a, a floor. And a familiar voice says, oh, hey, Toby, I think I've met you. Yeah, this is the Apostle Paul. I'd be glad to put your floor in for you. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I'm not going to hire the Apostle Paul to put my floor in for me. But yeah, he was like a tent maker. Could you imagine buying a tent from the Apostle Paul? Like, he won't take your money, but he'll, he'll sew you a tent. He'd like install the muffler on your car, but he won't take an offering. He'll install the hardwood floor for your house, but he's not going to accept charity. That's how Paul did his ministry. And the church was like, man, that's not, that's not normal. That's not what apostles do. Maybe he's not really an apostle. Maybe the reason he acts like a weak Christian in areas like eating meat offered to idols, and maybe the reason he never accepts an offering when we offer him an offering, maybe... He's actually not an apostle. And these other guys that are fine eating all the meat, they're fine doing all this other stuff. And, you know, these other teachers, they're fine accepting a whole bunch of money. <laughs> Maybe they're the real apostles. So Paul here gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Looks how he starts the passage. He says, now, uh, am I not an apostle? He starts with four rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions, the answer to all of these is yes. Obviously, yes. Question number one. Am I not an apostle? Yes, I am an apostle. Question number two, am I not free? Well, this is exactly what you think. He's not a prisoner. He's not a slave. 
He's free. There were a lot of people that were uh, slaves during this time. In fact, that's a theme we're going to come back to. But he says, hey, I'm not a slave. I'm an apostle. His uh, third and fourth question here, he says, have not I seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? He's like, I have seen the risen Lord. How many of you have seen the risen Jesus? No one at this church probably had seen the risen Jesus. Paul had seen the risen Jesus. He's like, I'm an apostle. I've seen the risen Jesus. Uh, He asks here, uh, are ye not my work in the Lord? He comes back to this in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, and he emphasizes the fact that you are this seal of my apostleship, the fact that you're saved. In fact, if I'm not a real apostle, you're not real Christians. Because I started your church. I, the gospel you believed was the gospel that I preached. So you're a witness to the fact that I'm an apostle. Verse number two here. If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you for the seal of mine apostleship. Are ye in the Lord? Mine answer to them that do examine me. Who's examining Paul? These other teachers doubting whether or not he's the real deal as an apostle. He's like, hey, here's my answer. Somebody wants to examine me, here's my answer. Verse number four, it's right where we started. Have we not power to eat and drink? What's the answer? Yes. Now now he's changed. He's not talking about meat offered to idols anymore. He's talking about accepting support. You could almost read this. Don't we have the ability to eat and drink at the expense of the church? Don't, don't we have the ability to accept from the church the Uh, support as we're there ministering isn't that right Paul's answer is yes I could have support I could have received your support I didn't have to pay for all of my own meals I didn't have to pay for all of my own drink but Paul always did if you took the Apostle Paul out to eat he wouldn't let you pay for it he insisted that he was gonna pay for it from the work that he did with his hands for a year and a half working night and day here at the Corinthian church. He insisted there was no exception. He always paid for his own food. He always paid for his own drink. He always paid his own way by working. And he says, I didn't have to do that. Verse number five, have we not the power to lead about a sister and a wife as well as other apostles and other, as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Paul says, hey, you guys know Peter. Yeah, they knew Peter. Does Peter travel around and accept support from the church? The answer is, yeah, Peter did that. When Peter came to town, did he bring his wife with him? Yep. Peter traveled with Mrs. Peter. They came together. Wouldn't that be great? Mr. and Mrs. Apostle Peter are here in town. We're so glad to have them. Let's feed them some food. Let's put them up in a hotel. Let's treat them well. We try to do that with our missionaries or with people that visit, right? We should do that. Paul says, hey, other apostles do it that's great they don't need to do what i do they're married that's great they don't need to do what i do they accept support from the church that's awesome that's right that's legitimate i'm the exception here i'm the anomaly i'm not saying everybody should be like me i'm just saying i would have the right i would have the ability to accept the offering verse number six and seven is it only i and barnabas that have not the power to forbear working He's like, hey, I could not work, right? And then he goes through here and he gives seven reasons why it's right for a minister of the gospel to receive a wage for the work that he does in the church. It is good to support your ministers. 
And here's his reasoning why. He says, okay, verse number seven. Here's seven reasons. Number one, who goeth uh, a war, or who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Question, does a soldier have to pay his own way? How many of you have a family member in the military? Anybody have a family member in the military? I do. Okay, you have a family member in the military? Guess what? When, when the government flies them over to Afghanistan, they don't buy their own ticket. <laughs> when their boots wear out, they don't have to go to... Uh, you know, REI and buy their own hiking boots, right? If you're a soldier, who pays for the expense of your ammunition and of your air fare? Who pays for that? The, the, the government does, right? Roman soldiers were the same. They got paid for what they did. As Paul says, hey, if you're a soldier, you'd get paid, verse number seven. Who planted the vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Hey, if you're a horticulturalist, if you're a, a, a gardener and you raise Fruit? Are you able to eat the fruit that you raise in your own garden? Of course you are. Third reason that he gives here is, Who feedeth a flock and eateth not the milk thereof? If you're a herdsman, if you're a rancher, and you've got a bunch of animals, and you uh, take the milk, are you allowed to eat some of the, drink some of the milk from your flock? Of course you are, he says. Verse number eight, I say these things as a man, or saith... Uh, not the law, the same also. He's like, hey, I gave you three examples of convention here, but I'm not just talking about convention. The law says this. God said this. Verse number nine, for it is written in the law of Moses, this is from Deuteronomy, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. If you have an animal that's working, you should feed the animal and allow it to uh, benefit from some of the work that he's doing. But guess what? An ox can't read the law. And he asked, is God really caring for the ox? Well, yeah, but he's also teaching us. That's the point. Verse number 10, what is he teaching us? Uh, or altogether, for our sakes, for our sake, no doubt it is written that he that ploweth should plow in hope and that he that thresheth in hope that we should be partakers of this hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing that we should reap carnal things. So he's going through all these reasons. What do you think is going on in the mind of the Corinthian readers? They're nodding along, right? They're tracking with them. Paul says, hey, let me prove to you why an apostle can take an offering. An example from a herdsman, from a horticulturalist, from a gardener, from a soldier, and the church at Corinth is going, uh-huh, 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 exactly, exactly. Paul, you're arguing our case. That's what we're trying to get you to see, right? Paul seems like he's doing a really bad job here proving his case. He's arguing the other side. The other side is saying, hey, apostles should take money. And Paul's like, yeah, let me tell you why. And he starts listing these reasons. They're like, yep, 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 and yep. Right, Paul, so what's up with this? He, he's not done. He continues, verse number 13. He says, do we not know that they with, which minister about holy things, thinking of the priests in the temple here, live of those things of the temple? Did you know when the priest offered these sacrifices, some of those sacrifices and parts of them, they themselves ate? They would benefit from the work of the temple sacrifice. The Levites would. They didn't have an inheritance of land, right? That's what their inheritance was. So Paul goes back to the convention and the, the law and the teaching of the temple, Verse number, uh, verse number 14, even so hath the Lord. By the way, when the Apostle Paul talks about the Lord, he's usually talking about Jesus. Sometimes people ask, why doesn't Paul ever quote Jesus? Because you haven't read the Bible carefully. Paul does. <laughs> and this is one of the places where he does. In Matthew and in Luke, we read that Jesus taught what he's about to say, and he quotes the Lord here. 
Verse number 14, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Who said that? That was Jesus. So Paul is affirming that. So what's up with Paul? Is he allowed to eat and drink at the expense of a church? Of course he is. Is he allowed to travel with a family, bring a sister or a wife? Could he have done that? Of course he could have. So Paul, <laughs> you've, proven your, you've proven our point. Why aren't you receiving our offerings? Look at verse number 12. We skipped it, but it's there and it's important. Verse number 12, this is the principle. He says, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? He's like, hey, if the Apostle Paul and all these other teachers and ministers and apostles, if they receive this right of support, and they should. Paul's not begrudging them that. He said, couldn't we do the same? I'm your father. I planted the church for goodness sake, right? You wouldn't even exist if it wasn't God using me on my second missionary journey. Like, of course I could, verse number 12. Nevertheless, we have not used this power. That word power is the word exousia. It means authority. It's actually in the last chapter, chapter 8, translated liberty. Use not your liberty as an occasion of the flesh. That's the word exousia as well. That's that authority. You have the right. Paul says, hey, I have the right. I haven't used the right. I haven't used the power over you, verse number 12. But suffer all things lest, this is it, we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul says there's one reason why I didn't accept an offering. I'm not saying no one should accept an offering. They should. I'm not saying you should not give an offering. Offer it. You should. But there's one reason why I didn't take it. He said, it's actually the same reason I'm not married. <laughs> it's like, actually, come to think of it, it's the same reason I would be willing to not eat meat as long as the world stands. It's all coming together here. Paul's arguing that he's a real apostle, but he's also trying to help them see this principle. And the principle is that Paul is willing to limit his rights and his liberty for the benefit of other people seeing Christ and receiving the gospel. That's his reason. Paul didn't refuse an offering and insist on paying his own way because he loved making tents so much. I would think making tents would get kind of old. I would think your fingers would get a little bit sore pushing that needle through the canvas. I would think there are other things that he would have rather spend his time doing. In fact, and I've heard Dr. Getch talk about it, he talks about working night and day. He worked a lot, right? He was a busy guy, and he wouldn't have had to have been so busy. He could have taken more leisure, and he could have taken more time for himself, but he worked this menial job, and Paul says, here's why, verse number 12, I don't want to hinder the gospel. You see, in the Corinthian church, there was in this, in fact, in other churches as well, there were these wisdom teachers that went around and they would charge people for their teaching. Now, the apostles and the ministers of the gospel, that's fine for them to be supported. The church ought to support them, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But there were these other teachers, these false teachers, that did it for benefit, for love of money. That's why they did it. They weren't, they weren't paid in order to preach. They preached and they taught in order to get paid. And Paul says, ah, it's not, that's, that's, that's not right. Because what happened here is that some people could afford the premium teachings and the, maybe even the wisdom teachings of these Gnostic or proto-Gnostic teachers and, these, and other people couldn't afford it. Hey, let's back up for a minute. Did the Corinthian church have a problem with like classism and like rich people and poor people and, uh-huh, 
Remember how they did communion? <laughs> communion was an embarrassment, right? Because rich people were flaunting their wealth, and poor people, they, didn't even, they went home hungry, and that's how they were doing communion. Remember how Paul addresses that? In fact, it's coming up. So Paul is saying here is, I was willing to give up my right and my liberty for the benefit of the gospel. There's nothing wrong with getting married, chapter number 7, but Paul didn't do it. He was okay not doing it because he wanted other people to benefit. There's nothing wrong with eating meat, but Paul was willing to not do it, even though it was completely okay. There's nothing wrong with receiving an offering from a church where you're ministering at, but Paul didn't do it. He was okay not doing it because he wanted to make sure that he was not causing other people to stumble. What a principle. The Apostle Paul was so focused on his calling that there was nothing that he would allow to dissuade him. And, and I think Paul's play here is pretty long-term. Paul wasn't looking for the best way to spend October. Paul wasn't looking for the most enjoyable new year of 52 AD. What are you going to do for the new year? I'm going to do this and this and this, enjoy this and this. That's not how Paul thought. Paul thought the clock is ticking. I'm one day going to get old and die. Or Jesus is going to come back, which seems like he expected. Or I might get killed, which actually ended up being how he died, right? He wanted to get as much done with this little time. There's a sense of urgency and a passion and a reckless abandon in his life. And he said, because of that, I don't want anything limiting any part of the impact that I could potentially have for the kingdom of God. And that principle that we see here, he then applies in three different illustrations. And I want to focus on these as we close. What does this how does this play out in Paul's life? He says, I'm a slave in three areas. And I've got to keep moving here to get it, but watch this. He's a slave in three areas. This principle is manifest in his life in this way. Look for, first at verse number 15. Paul says, For I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. He's like, hey, all those seven reasons I gave why you should support ministers, I don't want an offering. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm just saying keep doing it for other people. I'm the exception. I'm not saying other people should do it like me. You should support them. I'm just saying not me. I'm not writing these things so that you start doing this to me. For it were better for me to die than that a man should make my glory void. He's like, I'd rather, you want to give me an offering. I get that. I'd rather die than give up my this gets kind of amazing here. Verse number 16. I've actually written this in some Bibles. I don't know that I completely understood it before. Look at verse number 16. He says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. How does Paul have nothing to glory of? He was shipwrecked. He started churches. He did all of this incredible stuff. How does Paul say there's nothing? There's, I can't glory in that. He just said the verse before, I'd rather die than not be able to glory. Right? Is that what he said? Verse number 15. Uh, it would be better for me to die than the man should take a, make my glorying void. Does Paul want to be able to glory? Yeah. Verse number 16, but he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. He's like, I am, I am craving the ability to glory. I would rather die than not have the ability to glory. And then he turns around to verse number 16. He says, but I'm preaching the gospel, but that doesn't count. I can't glory in that. Why can't Paul glory in preaching the gospel? Well, because a slave, a servant, who does what is expected of him at the end of the day, all that is said is, well, that was what was expected of him. Paul says, I can't glory for preaching the gospel, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 
Paul said, I don't really have a choice about preaching the gospel. We talk about our testimonies. I love hearing people's testimonies. There's never been a testimony I haven't enjoyed hearing. I love hearing people's testimonies. But uh, our testimonies are often like, when I, was, uh, when I was 12 years old, I was at this camp, and it was like, it was Willow Springs Baptist Camp out in the woods, and we had a preacher, and we had, you know, played corn uh, ball, and we had a water slide, and I was there reading my Bible, and I was thinking about God, and I out there with the birds chirping and the sun coming through the trees. I got on my knees and I prayed and I accepted the gospel. That's a great story. If that's your story, we're going to celebrate that. That's not Paul's story, is it? I had this thought this last week. I wonder if Paul had PTSD from his conversion experience. <laughs> I wonder if he ever woke up with a cold sweat at night remembering that event. He was like, yeah, I was traveling to Damascus. I was on this road. I was this big, powerful, authorized guy that was going to, he's like, I just got back from wreaking havoc on some churches. I like slaughtered some people and I broke up some families and I annihilated some churches and I threw some pre people in prison. It was awesome, man. I annihilated those churches. It was full. It was on. I was going to go do it again and I'm on the road and all of a sudden it was like this, I don't know, it was like this this supernova from heaven just kind of boom. I thought I was going to die. It knocked me off my horse. I couldn't see anything for days afterwards. I had to have somebody lead me by hand. I, I, I had scales in my eyes. I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't see. I heard this voice. It was this, wow. Paul says, trust me when I tell you I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. Now, he's constrained by the love of Christ, Right? But he didn't have a choice in preaching. Look what he says in verse number 17. He digs this a little bit more. He says, for uh, if I do this willingly, I have a reward, right? If I volunteer to do this, good, God gives me a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me. He's like, hey, if I just kind of volunteered for this thing, yeah, maybe I'd get a reward. Paul says, I didn't volunteer. God picked me. He made it pretty clear. But I, I think Paul thought he'd die if he didn't serve God, right? He's like, that. Jesus wasn't messing around when he appeared to me. I said before, I saw Jesus. Yeah, but, it, you know, I don't. You, you realize Paul doesn't talk about his, uh, his uh, conversion experience a whole lot, except for, uh, you know, he does in Acts. But it's not, he's like, man, it was something else. So, Paul, if you don't expect a reward for ministering, if you don't expect a reward for preaching, if you don't expect a reward, because you're a servant of God, Paul, you don't even expect a reward. How are you going to get rewarded? He's like, I figured out a way. I didn't game the system, but I figured out a way. I'm a slave of God. I'm a bond slave of God. I'm not going to get a reward for doing what's expected of me, but I found a way to find a reward. You want to know how Paul figured out how to get a reward? Verse number 18. This is how Paul determined, you know what? I'm going to get a reward out of this anyway. <laughs> Necessity is laid on me. Woe is if I don't. But I figured out how to get a reward. Look at verse number 18. What is my reward then? Verily, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. I don't abuse my power, my authority, my liberty in the gospel. Paul says, hey, I'm not going to get a reward from preaching the gospel, from traveling, from shipwreck, from starting churches. There's no reward in that for me. I'm a bond slave. But he's like, you know what? I figured out how to get a reward. I'm going to do it for free. Number one, Paul says, because of this principle, I'm a slave to God. Number two, Paul says, because of this principle, I'm a slave to others. He says that in verse number 19. He says, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all. By the way, we don't think of this when we think of slavery. 
The word doulos is used here, the word for slave. A slave to us, we think of that reprehensible period of American history and other nations as well of, of somebody being captured and transported and sold into slavery. By the way, did you know in the Old Testament a man-stealer is someone that's to be executed? God's against that. But Paul, this is a bond slave. This is somebody that comes and says, hey, you know what? How about the, for the next five years, I'm your servant. Take care of me, my family, give us a place to live, food on the table, whatever you say goes, you're the boss, that's the exchange. Paul says, I'm nobody's servant, but I've become a servant. I'm free, but I've become a servant. And then he says in this passage, the, to those under the law, I've become as one under the law. To those that are weak, I've become as those that are weak. To the Jews, I've become as those uh, that are Jews. By the way, that's not easy to do. It's hard to... Bring yourself under that type of lifestyle because Paul says, I'm really free. I don't have to do any of that. But because of this principle of priority in the gospel, I'm a slave to God in the ministry. I'm a slave to others and my service to others. And then he wraps this up by talking about a third type of slavery where this is manifest in his life. And that is, he brings his body into subjection. Again, it's a form of doulos, the form of slave there. It's like, I'm a, I'm a doulos of God. I become a doulos to others, and I make my body a doulos to myself. My body doesn't tell me what to do, I tell my body what to do. That's why he could work so hard. That's why he could get all this done. Paul says, I'm not, I make my body a doulos, verse number uh, 24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore, because of that, therefore I so run, not as uncertainly I fight, not as one that beateth the ear. I keep my body, keep under my body. That word is a form of doulos there. I enslave my body. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached unto others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul begins this passage by saying, hey, I've got a question for you. Can I eat and drink? Is it okay for me to accept support from the churches where I minister? Yeah, Paul, of course. He's like, you're right. In fact, let me reinforce that. Let me give you seven more reasons why that's right. And keep giving Paul money, when, keep giving Peter and his wife money when he comes in. They deserve it. And keep supporting the missionaries and the ministers and the pastors. They deserve it. They've earned it. Absolutely. I'm the anomaly here. I'm just saying I'm not going to take it. Because though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Necessity is laid on, on to me. But here's my reward. When I preach the gospel, I'm going to do it for free. I'm going to limit my liberty for the benefit of other people. So I wonder where does that leave you and I today? Where does that leave us? Some of us need to grow in the area of knowledge. Chapter number eight. You judge someone else that you have no right to judge. You need to grow in knowledge. Some of us may classify other believers based on their... Uh, music or dress or uh, hairstyle or the type of lights they use in the auditorium. Sometimes we may call our preferences Bible convictions if 
we're actually making something a biblical standard that's not taught in the Bible. We're adding to these. We act like our relationship with God is based on our merit, not on the merit of Christ. And if that's any part of that's true, you're like somebody that maybe is, is weak in the area of eating meat offered to idols. We need to grow in liberty there. But that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is grow in love. And that's what I'm asking you to do this morning. Would you grow in love? Do you really not love a brother enough to give up meat when Jesus loved him enough to give up his life? If God called you to pass up material provision in order to reach more people, would we love enough to do so? Does your commitment to the gospel lead you to be disciplined in your body, to be deferential toward others, and to see yourself as a servant fully committed to God's leading in your life? Would you join me today in praying? that God would enable you to use your knowledge, your liberty, and your freedom to serve others.